Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. My name is Victoria. I'm an alcoholic and chairperson for today's meeting. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Victoria. We open AA meetings with the serenity prayer and I invite you to join me. God, God. grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Awesome. Um, it's a beautiful day in Wellington today. Um, the group we were meant to have um, unfortunately couldn't make it this morning, um, so we have a bit of a hodgepodge of, of very cool people um, from the throughout the throughout the rooms in Wellington. Um, I will start us off by reading the preamble. Uh, the AA preamble: Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve the common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Awesome. Oh, I didn't ask you guys before. Do you want um, the daily reflection or should we just go straight to the sharing? Yes? Okay, sweet. Um, I'll just pull that up as well. So um, oh, the daily refre- reflection, guys, is um, a piece of AA literature um, and it provides quotes from some of the other literature alongside an explanation. Um, and there is one for every day, hence the daily reflection. Um, so today is November the 20th. Um, Thy will not mine. When making specific requests, it will be well to be to add to add each one of them this qualification, if it be thy will. Twelve steps and twelve traditions, page one hundred and two. I ask simply that throughout the day God place in me the best understanding of His will that I can have for the day, and that I be given the grace for which I may carry it out. As the day goes on, I can pause when facing situations that must be met and decisions that must be made, and renew the simple request: Thy will, not mine, be done. I must always keep in mind that in every situation I am responsible for the effort and God is responsible for the outcome. I can let go and let God by humbly repeating, Thy will not mind be done. Patience and persistence in seeking his will for me will free me from the pain of selfish expectations. Awesome. Um, so we'll now jump into the sharing part of the meeting um, and I will ask Rosie to share first, please. I am Rosie Mulcolic. Good, Hi, Rosie. Um, yeah, I... Um, I stopped drinking in my late 20s. I'm 30 now, so a few years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't I, – I don't feel like I always – I don't know if I was born an alcoholic or not, um, but I certainly know that um, throughout my drinking career it always gave me a lot of turmoil. Um, I would often drink to excess, like wake up, not know what happened, smelling of vomit – but I just thought maybe it was because I was young or I was unhappy and it was the circumstances and I'd try better next time. But towards the last couple of years of my drinking, I noticed my thinking around it was getting quite distorted um, and I didn't really like, yeah, the effect it was having on me. So 
um, I would kind of, yeah, move between different drinks to try and get the euphoria that I once felt. Um, and I think one more drink will do it, one more drink will do it, and then black out um, because it would make me sort of like tired and um, depressed. So then I ended up having to use drugs as well on top of that. And it just became, um, it became the forefront of my life. Like I remember thinking that I, I prefer myself drunk and I didn't understand why people didn't just drink all the time. Um, and my thinking around it would be obsessive. So I, on a Friday, I would get this intense, intense excitement, like sickening. It was all I could think about was drinking. Um, and then, yeah, just a sigh of relief when I, when I had that drink. Um, it was hard for me to identify it as alcoholism because I was young and lots of my friends were drinking a lot and it, yeah, it was a big part of British culture. So yeah, I just didn't really think anything of it. Um, but then I was, there was one time, I think it was the last time I drank in England. I, I woke up and I didn't know why I had like, you know, before sometimes if I acted, you know, um, unskillfully like texting an ex I'd think well yeah I can see why I did that when I was drunk but I did this thing I went back to someone's house that I knew but I don't know why I went there I wasn't supposed to like it was it was like someone else had been acting and it wasn't me and that really freaked me out and I would starting to do things like driving intoxicated the next day and just things drinking on my own things I thought I wouldn't do so I could see yeah it was getting out of control so um I decided to get sober and I did on my own for a little bit. And again, that was confusing because I thought alcoholics couldn't get sober on their own. But what I quickly learned was that I couldn't stay sober on my own. Um, so I relapsed after six months and then almost relapsed again after a year because the craving came back, like the intense, intense feeling that I need to drink. Um, and so I went to an AA meeting before I took that drink and um, I haven't drank since. I... Um, coming to meetings just helps me remember it reminds me of the pain because sometimes the pain can be hard to remember on a on a daily basis but reminding myself of my own stories and listening to other people's listening for the similarities really helps me identify that my thinking around alcohol is not the same as normal people's or non-alcoholics um and that's, yeah, an important thing for me to remember as well, was important, especially at the start, was to look for the similarities because, um, you know, everyone's journey with alcoholism would be different. Um, and it's it can be so easy to just tell yourself, oh, I'm not as bad as that or I, I haven't done that yet. But for me, it was very much like I knew it was making me miserable and I couldn't stop doing something that was making me miserable. And for me, it doesn't really matter what I had or hadn't done. The fact that I was, you know, essentially engaging in self-harm but couldn't stop, um, it makes me see that it's it's not a health, it wasn't a healthy relationship. Um, now that I'm in the program, I now that I'm sober, I just have a lot more spaciousness in my life. So like the reading, I'm able to just pause when I feel discomfort. And a lot of the my drinking when I look back was because I felt uncomfortable in my body and that would make me want to search for something to relieve that and alcohol was a good way of doing that. Um, so now I'm able to kind of take a step back most of the time and take a deep breath and say, okay, is this something I can control? Um, or have an influence over and if not then I just need to keep my mouth shut or step step away um, I'm getting better at saying sorry when I'm wrong as well which I think I wasn't so good at when I was drinking because 
my general awareness was just a lot lower. Like I, 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 and I just didn't care. Like I had to disengage from caring about things because I did feel bad on some level about what I was doing, but it was too painful because I couldn't stop. So, um, yeah, what do I do now? I go to meet three meetings a week um, regularly, and I notice that if I don't go to three, sometimes the craving comes back because it's so powerful. Um, I wake up most mornings and I go outside and I look at the sky and I say, I'm not in control of this day, and I kind of... um, I respond with patience and tolerance and just accept life how it is. And and the reading today kind of, I guess, reflects that. And when I first came into AI, I didn't like the word God. And I still don't resonate with it that well. So I just swap the word God with life and it makes more sense to me. Like I'm powerless over life in, in the sense that I can't control everything and that's okay. Um, so yeah, and I meditate regularly and that kind of keeps my mind less busy and um helps me to cope with things because otherwise I can get overwhelmed and then yeah I want to self-destruct um yeah I'm incredibly grateful as well for the fellowship and that word gets used a lot and for me what it really means is like it's not just saying I'm grateful but it's a it's an active practice you know like I practice gratitude by giving people words of appreciation or giving generos- generosity of my time or my effort. And that's something that I guess, yeah, like the 12 step reflects is when you help a newcomer, it just makes, for me anyway, it inspires me to want to stay sober because I wasn't helping anyone when I was drinking or quite the opposite. But when you when you know you've had a positive effect on someone's sobriety and well-being, it's, yeah, it's incredibly inspiring. And when someone helps you in that way as well, it just... It gives me a feeling that, you know, it's it's not it's definitely not the same as intoxicants, but I much prefer it. Like I don't have huge highs and huge lows now, but I still have a lot of things in my life that are worth living for. And that's all down to being sober and being the program. So thank you. Thanks, Rosie. Thanks, Rosie. Um, just a reminder, you're listening to uh, the Wellington um, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air, um, and we're broadcasting on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Um, if you or someone you know um, can relate to what's been shared in the meeting today and you'd like to reach out, if you live in New Zealand, um, you can go to the website www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz. Um, Otherwise, we have a phone line, um, which is manned by sober alcoholics 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, And that is 0800 AA Works, 0800 229 675. If you're listening somewhere else, um, Google is your friend. I would suggest um, looking up AA in your country. Um, It's available almost everywhere. Okay. And um, now I'd like to ask Rebecca to share, please. Thanks, Victoria. I'm Rebecca. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Rebecca. Um, uh, I've really related to the uh, sharing um, this morning. Um, when I, I guess, uh, I've been thinking quite a lot recently about how how I explain my drinking story to someone who doesn't, um, uh, maybe doesn't really understand alcoholism or, um, you know, has only known me and, in sobriety and um you know i guess the the thing is that uh, 7 years ago i was at the at, toward the end of my drinking and i uh i was kind of what i call bourgeois homeless <laughs> which um you know i still had people who would let me stay at their place but i 
was uh, not really in a situation where I could um, get a tenancy uh, because I um, had a um, real tendency to drink the rent money. I'd been through the tenancy tribunal quite a few times. Um, life was getting quite difficult. I was racing towards being unemployable. I worked in hospitality, um, uh, but um, was doing a lot of dangerous um, and dishonest things. I, you know, um, was an active alcoholic with keys to a pub, and you know, and I would sit there late at night by myself and um, drink my, um, you know, my boss's booze without paying for it. Um, and um, I was miserable. I was unhealthy, um, and and I really was just um, on. You know, it was like a like a, like on a, one of those hamster wheels where um, <clears throat> I had no choice over drinking. I had to do it, um, and. And I couldn't see any, I couldn't see any way out of it. I think I had some understanding that um, that I couldn't stop drinking, um, and that I was trading off things, um, you know, sort of over a number of years that it took for me to get to that point. I'd kind of made these rec these these um, sort of reconciliations. I, I'd kind of gone, oh, well, I probably won't, I'll never have a family uh, because I drink. Um, I'll never, you know, I probably won't really have a relationship, um, a healthy one at least because I, I drink. And, you know, all these things um, that uh, I certainly, you know, didn't think I'd ever own property or have a, um, you know, uh, particularly exciting or responsible job. Um, uh, and I just um, let all these things kind of uh, just fall by the wayside because I drank. And um, it took me quite a long time to to fully see and understand how much I'd let alcohol dominate my life um uh and um you know right towards the end i think i <laughs> i'd um uh borrowed 60 bucks from a hooker so that i could pay my rent and then um <laughs> gone and gone to the pub and spent it on alcohol and i did have a moment where i thought oh, i just can't i just can't do this anymore because i am right back at the point where where I was a few hours ago, where I was scrounging for money to pay my rent because I drank my rent money, um, and uh, you know, I I just had a moment where I looked at myself and I thought, well, this is pretty pathetic, um, and uh, you know, when you sort of go back. And ask, well, how did how did I get there? I don't know, um, 
you know that uh, that there I think there are so many different um, paths that we take to um, finding ourselves at our uh, rock bottom or lowest point or you know some people refer to it as the the jumping off point um, uh, you know I was um, uh, I grew up in a well-educated family um, and you know wasn't perfect I was quite an unhappy child, but, and there were, you know, most families are dysfunctional if you go looking for it. But, um, uh, you know, I was given lots of opportunity. I um, was pretty good at quite a few different things, you know, was, um, <clears throat> but I always felt awkward and, um, and I had a lot of difficulty getting on with my peers. I didn't quite feel ever like I fitted in. And when I was a teenager, I discovered drinking and um, uh, that sort of made things heaps easier. Um, I'm not sure that uh, <clears throat> necessarily made me feel like I was at one with the people around me, but um, I think maybe it just made me not care <laughs> and I could get through all those things. And, um, you know... Uh, that sort of space in between, I guess, um, uh, you know, I, I used alcohol for everything and um, never developed the skills that some people just kind of naturally seem to seem to have. So when I came to my point where I thought I, I have to do something about this and um, uh decided to um, go and, you know, come to AA and try to get sober. Um, we have this thing, you know, once you take the alcohol away, um, uh, the reality of your situation can be, uh, you know, the clarity <laughs> clarity rushes in and, and, and it can be quite overwhelming. You're sort of going, wow. <laughs> um we often say, oh, the good thing is that you get your feelings back and the bad thing is that you get your feelings back. <laughs> so, um, you know, at the age of 36, um, I had to learn to um, deal with my emotions and um, uh, manage them and um, I had to do all the sort of general work to get my life back on track and um, <clears throat> um, I got some I got some second chances you know um, there were people out there who saw what I was trying to do and uh, helped me along the way and um, you know I'm incredibly grateful for that uh, that uh, you know second chances aren't that aren't that common um and uh you know i really i really value it people people did um uh did give me a go um getting sober is hard work but um today i've had six and a half years of sobriety and um in that time you know uh <laughs> Sounds funny, but in that time, you know, I've brushed my teeth every night before I went to bed. 
Um, I've eaten breakfast every morning before I've left the house. Um, and, you know, at the start, it was really simple things like that, that, um, that were achievements for me. Um, I've gone back to university and um, <clears throat> I've just completed a degree um and um uh we're just about it. <laughs> I haven't got the paperwork yet. Um <clears throat> you know, uh I have stable employment, I have um a, a safe, warm place to live. I still feel fear when I fill out a tenancy application, but they get accepted now. You know, I have people who um who will act as a referee. Um where seven years ago, my own parents didn't really want me to stay with them. And now we have um, uh, grown closer and, um, you know, have a have a loving relationship. I don't feel that intense social awkwardness um, that I that I used to feel. And I found in my life all the things that I wanted that I had been looking for in the bottle um, and they were, they're all there in my sobriety. Um, and uh, I have a deep satisfaction with my life today. Um, I'm not happy every minute of every day. And, you know, life has its, um, its ups and downs. And, and, um, but I feel satisfied with my life. You know, it's something that... Um, through following the program of AA, I've been able to build this new life that I really want to live. Um, and I've, um, you know, I had a fellowship grow up around me of people that I want to uh, that I want to share it with. Um, and you know, I hope my story is uh, a story of hope um, because, you know, I think that's the magic ingredient. Um, we can we can get there. It's hard work, but um, you know I think uh, what I have always got out of meetings is that sense of hope that um, other people have been there and um, you know forged the way. So um, thanks for listening and um, pass on. Awesome. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, just a reminder, you're listening to the Wellington um, AA meeting on air and we're broadcasting on Wellington Access Radio. Uh, that's 106.1 FM. Um, if you want to get in contact with AA in New Zealand, you can go to our website, www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz um, or call us on 0800 AA Works. Um, if you're overseas, the internet is your friend. I would suggest looking up AA in your area. Awesome. Um, now I will ask Chrissy to share. Thanks, Victoria. I'm Chrissy. I'm an alcoholic. Um, how fantastic is it to be able to come to a meeting on air with other women who are sober today? And today is all I've got. Um, I was born alcoholic. I grew up in a very violent alcoholic family. Um, I picked up my first drink at 14 and got wasted. It was um, New Year's Eve. I went to a friend's party. Um, 
bit of background before that. I had been in hospital for three months. Um, I tried to starve myself to death and I was suicidal. Um, I spent a lot of time in hospital. I was heavily medicated and I got out and I think my mother probably thought as a special treat she'd let me go out to a party and all the kids were downstairs with non-alcoholic punch and all the adults were upstairs and the friend's older brothers had um, put bottles of spirits in the punch and all my friends were taking sips of it and you know one sip oh I'm drunk oh I don't like it oh it's alcohol and I just drunk it and drunk it and drunk it and I was always the type that would hide in the corner and um, I'd prefer to read a book than interact with other people but there I was dancing around acting like a maniac um, I threw up on the white carpet and the mother came down and someone took me home and I threw up in the car and I had to share a bedroom with my sister who was nine years younger than me. And so I divided the room up in bits of string because I didn't want her touching any of my stuff. And I came and I can kind of remember it. I was so drunk and so sick. And I tripped over the string and a big, <laughs> big bookcase came down and my sister was crying and my mum was a solo parent of four children and um, oh my god she was furious she gave me the bucket and a drink of water and the next morning she started vacuuming early in the morning in my room and my head was pounding I was still dry reaching she was so angry she said you remind me of your father and that was my first time of getting drunk it's crazy. Um, fast forward two and a half years, I got expelled from school. Um, I met boys who lived in a flat across the road from school. Um, they'd drink and smoke pot and smoke cigarettes, and I used to go there before school at lunchtime, after school. Um, it was 1981. I had pink hair and black eyeliner. An attitude which wasn't very good. Um, the head nun slapped me across the face in front of the whole school at assembly and so I slapped her back. <laughs> and yeah, it was a very, very sad time. Um, my mother was in a psychiatric hospital in Palmerston North having electric shock treatment. Um, my two brothers were sent to a boarding school in Masterton and my young sister was sent to a Catholic social services home in Blenheim. Um, I dragged my mother out of Lyle Bay Beach. She was suicidal and I was left in this house by myself and I got expelled and I had such resentment against Catholics and religion and God and you know if there was anything good in this world 
you know, I, this stuff wouldn't wouldn't happen. Um, so a friend of a friend had a friend who was a hairdresser who was looking for an apprentice, and I thought, yes. And so I went into the hairdressing world, which is pretty crazy in the 80s, though everyone probably says that. Lots of drugs, lots of alcohol, lots of partying every day, every single day. I hung around with older people. Um, I ditched the school friends and I went my own way. And my own way took me to psych ward on more than one occasion. It took me to the place where I just wanted to kill myself. I had no idea that if I didn't pick up that first drink, then my life wouldn't be how it was. Um, took lots and lots of different medications, um, lots and lots of different relationships. There was nothing that I wouldn't do because I wanted to fill this hole in my soul with what my head told me was going to fill it. And I was completely wrong, completely wrong. Um, I don't have to drink today because I put recovery first. Um, you know, I suffer from a disease and it's in my head. And I process alcohol differently from other people. A normal person can have a few sips of wine at dinner and then have a cup of tea. I've never understood that. Once my thinking takes me to that thought of having a drink, not one drink, I've never had one drink. It is it's getting rid of this thirst for something. You know, nothing else can fill me with the feeling that alcohol gives me when I have that first sip and I feel it going through my body and I have the next sip and the next sip. And I can't stop until I'm passed out. And then I have to drink more. You know, I get the withdrawals quite quickly. I start shaking and my head starts racing. It won't stop. I can't sleep. I can't eat. Um, yeah, it's just so horrible. So horrible. Um, and I have to remember that. You know, for me, I have had to take nitraxone and antabuse to get me through those first few months of not drinking. Um, I haven't had a drink for quite a few years, well, six and a half years, and my first AA meeting was in 1996. Um, I was legally sanctioned to a treatment centre um, where I came to an AA meeting and found out that I suffer from a disease. And I felt much better about that, much better. Um, so my periods of sobriety have ranged from six months, nine months, two and a half years, three and a half years. I always wanted something, you know, at the end of a period of sobriety. 
I'll stay sober until I can do this. I'll stay sober until I get that. And these days I have no, no expectations. Um, I put recovery first. I have faith in a higher power. God, God of my understanding, which at first was a group of drunks, then it was good orderly direction. And now it just is. There's something out there that's bigger than me that keeps me sober, despite myself. Um, I have no interest in picking up another drink. Um, my life is so good. I remember I used to do experiments and I'd write down when I'd relapse. You know, I'd go a couple of weeks without a drink and then I'd relapse. It was always a full moon. And it was always tied in with hormonal stuff as well. And so I learnt the different patterns of my behaviour and my thinking. And last night it was a huge full moon. It was a blood red moon. It only happens, I don't know, not very often. But um, I was able to be up and sober and have a look at it. And that was the joy of being sober. You know, feeling like you're kind of part off with the rest of the world. Um, yeah, I go to regular meetings. I do some service. Um, I try to work with other women and work through the steps with them and share my experience, strength and hope with them. And they might not stay sober, but I do. I have to give back what was so freely given to me and I'm really grateful that stuff I learn in AA doesn't change you know we don't kind of modern up the big book <laughs> we don't change the things that we do and we say the formats stay pretty much the same um, each group is autonomous so I have a home group and we decide you know basically what we want to do and it's we it's not just me by myself um, which it always was, you know. People would say, how are you? And I'd say, oh, I'm fine. Well, I've learned that fine means fucked up, insecure, neurotic and emotional. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I don't say fine any anymore. I usually say I'm good. And for people who know me well, I'll say, well, I'm you know, feeling that I don't want to pray at the moment. I'm feeling like I don't want to go to AA meetings. I'm feeling like I don't want to do anything that's suggested. And that's okay because I'm just a fallible human being and most of us go through those kind of feelings. Sometimes I'm so happy, joyous and free. I want to go to a million AA meetings. I want to listen to the podcasts. I want to read tomorrow's daily reflection as well as today's, you know. <laughs> I want more, more, more. And I haven't been arrested for wanting more of Alcoholics Anonymous in the program. Um, I haven't been arrested for going to two meetings in a day, you know. I, the life is quite different. But the life is much better, better, simpler and easier and just come along to a meeting, listen to a podcast, um, 
If you have a desire to stop drinking, you don't have to have stopped drinking before you come to a meeting. The only requirement for a membership is a desire to stop drinking. And if you're an alcoholic of my type, drinking's not fun anymore. The good times are long gone. And just come and see. Just look for the similarities rather than the differences. And this is definitely the easier, softer option for a lazy person like me. Thank you. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks, Christy. Um, just a reminder, you're listening to the Wellington Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air, um, and we're broadcasting on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Um, if you or someone you know can relate to the sharing and you want to get in contact with AA in New Zealand, uh, we have a 24-7 phone number, 0800 AA Works. Um, you can also go to the website, www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz. Um, there you can find this really great meetings list. It's an interactive map. You can put in your location. You can put in the day, um, and it'll show all meetings in your area. Um, at the moment, that's probably a really good place to check for meetings because some meetings are still online or in recess. Um, so it's good to check before you turn up somewhere new. Um Oh, uh, there is a Facebook page for this meeting, the Wellington Meeting on Air. Um, if you want to track us down, we love to hear from you guys. Um, also, uh, if you are interested in listening to other recordings of this show, um, the best there is some recordings on the AA website, but I think the best place to go is Wellington Access Radio's website. Find us, AA on Air, um, and it'll have every single recording every month for the last couple of years. Um, so that's probably the best place to go. Right. Um, kia ora. I'm Victoria and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Victoria. God, I've just re- related so much to the sharing today. Eh? Like, um, I find that I actually tend to cry more in this meeting than any other meeting because because it's this kind of longer format. You just get to hear people's stories, you know, and it's just, um, it just hits hard. And, and I think, Part of it, too, is that, you know, one of the reasons that I love AA is because when I got here, um, I was so used to people telling me what my problem was. I was used to people telling me what to do. And I just felt like it was bullshit because how would they know? So then to finally sit across from someone and know that it wasn't bullshit because I knew that they had been there and they knew what they were talking about, that was really important to me. Um yeah, yeah, because b- b- yeah, before I before I came in, I just um, I wasn't really willing to listen to anyone, and it's because they just didn't. I don't think they. I felt like they just didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing, you know. Because um, yeah, I had that you know that first interaction with alcohol when I was fifteen. It was just that warm spreading feeling, and I just chased that for the next five years, you know. Like I was always looking to get that. Like from the you know, I didn't kind of get sick and then say, oh, I'm never doing that again. I got sick and I was like, when can I do that again? You know, I was just absolutely um, so keen to do it again. You know, like I, there was, I just thought, wow, I have found this thing. I remember feeling that. I remember feeling like, wow, this is going to be my thing from now on, you know. Um, and I had this, instead of being rebellious, I had this little um, tricky way of going about things, which was I was really good so then my parents and my teachers would leave me alone and then I could get away with anything, you know, because I kind of people weren't worried about me. So it meant that I could do whatever I wanted. Um, 
So that was kind of how I was operating. Um, and it was interesting, like from the jump, I knew that I needed more than other people. Like I just knew, I just intrinsically knew that I needed more than other people. I remember my parents would give us alcohol and then I would also organize with friends to find someone creepy to buy us more alcohol. <laughs> and then on top of that, on top of what me and my friends had, I would then personally fill up a flask or steal some alcohol out of the fridge because I just knew that how much my friends needed wasn't going to be enough for me. And I also just straight away had a fear of running out, you know, and that 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 stuck with me. But it all, it all kicked off pretty early on, you know, it didn't kind of develop over time. All of that stuff was there um, from the very beginning. Um, and also quite early on, I knew that I didn't just want a couple of drinks. Um, there would be times where I would choose to go completely sober because – I knew that once I took the first drink, I wouldn't be able to stop. So I would just completely opt out of drinking. It was like more comfortable to not drink than to have a few and then just have that, what I now know is called the phenomenon of craving, have that fill, filling my body and being unable to drink because of circumstances. You know, like that was, oh God, that was hell. <laughs> you know, like that that was hell to me, that um, discomfort and not being able to drink. And, uh, you know, eventually I would just, drink by myself or if I went somewhere I had to preload or I would have to leave early and I'd go home and drink by myself like I wanted to um and yeah it's interesting I never fit in um I'd never felt like I belonged anywhere um and it didn't help that my behavior was starting to get really bad so people probably didn't really want me to belong you know like I was pretty I was starting to get quite antisocial. um and I, I don't know why I did it. I just I just was so insecure and I just knew that I wasn't kind of acting in line with my values and I felt like there was something intrinsically wrong with me. I felt like I was rotten inside. Um so I would burn a lot of bridges because I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to build relationships with people because I felt like they would find out. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like when I met someone new, my heart would kind of sink because I knew that it was only a matter of time before they found out who I really was. Um, you know, that that was really hard. And um, as I got older, my integrity went out the window. Like I just really became someone I wasn't. And I was a, I was quite cowardly and I was really dishonest. You know, I, I just couldn't be the person that I was. You know, when I left home, um, I partly, partly my relationship with my parents and my grandparents went downhill because I was just drinking and didn't care. But partly I didn't really want to have a relationship with them because they reminded me of who I actually was. And I was, I knew that I was, um, I was ashamed. I was really ashamed of my behavior. I was really ashamed that I wasn't being honest with all these new people about who I was. And it became really painful to talk, especially my grandparents, it became really, really hard to talk to my nan because I, I knew that she would be really ashamed of me, you know, that was really difficult. Um, and that was really common in my drinking was just this feeling of shame um, all the time, even when I hadn't done anything wrong, which was very infrequently because by the end of my drinking, I was constantly doing the wrong thing, you know, um, even when it didn't make sense, you know, like I would have a friend, I'd be going through a rough time. I'd have a friend who would be the only one that was there for me. And then I would sleep with their partner behind their back, you know, like it didn't make sense. You know, I just, um, and my behavior just, just didn't make sense. And the worst part about it is my behavior was still bad. Even when I wasn't drinking, you know, like I couldn't even, sometimes I couldn't even blame my behavior on being drunk or high. Um, and I didn't really understand that. And now I understand that I, 
was suffering from a disease and that drinking was the solution. It was what actually made things better. Um, and that I was just operating out of shame and fear and selfishness um, and resentment all the time when I was sober, you know, and, and, and that's why all that behavior was kind of coming out sideways. Um, I came to the rooms pretty much because I couldn't keep myself alive. You know, I just, I just couldn't, I was either putting myself in really, you know, really harm's way, really danger, um, or I was hurting myself. So I just couldn't keep myself alive, you know, and luckily my parents and I were still speaking. So they stepped in, um, and they took me to see a psychiatrist I'd seen in the past. And he said, look, we need to actually put you, so, like physically put you somewhere because you're just not, you, we want you alive kind of thing. Um, and they sent me down to Ashburn Clinic. Um, and I was admitted as like a mental health patient. But then on the intake form, I lied. I, I said, I wrote down half of what I was drinking and using. And they looked at it and said, oh, we need to get you in the addictions program straight away. <laughs> you know? That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.